show and tell for today's uh, announcements. So the first show and tell is you may have located in your bulletin this small piece of paper here. This is actually a, a throwback to pre-COVID. We're slowly trying to get ourselves back in. And this uh, is an opportunity um, sheet. It tells you uh, the upcoming events that are happening at church. And if you are going to attend any of them, it's really helpful, helpful to us if you just put your name on it. Check off the ones that you're going to attend. And then when the offering plates come by, you just drop it right in the offering plate. And that helps us to just plan our activities a little bit better. The second um, thing that I want to show you is this yellow envelope. This is the envelope that we use when we're doing special missions offerings. And today we are taking a special offering um, for uh, relief from the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. The United Church of Christ, our, um, our governing body here at, at uh, Southport UCC, has partnered with the Middle East Council of Churches and the Middle East Evangelical Church to create a program in which 100% of the funds that are given through the UCC will go into direct care for uh, the people of Turkey, both Turkey and Syria. So if you would like to participate in that, you can do it through the yellow envelope. There's also uh, text messaging and Venmo information in your bulletin. Um, we're gonna talk about that a little bit later in the service as well. Um, one of those things that we're going to do decided to have a prayer meeting today as our second hour. Julianne is going to run that. We are going to spend some time in intentional prayer for our church family members who are in need for our community and for our world and especially focusing on Turkey and Syria and the Ukraine. So if you would like to take some time to intentionally offer up our prayers for that, you can join Julianne in the library around 
is a group of volunteers who travel um, to Shop and Shop and Balducci's and then any other grocery store that you might have a connection with, we can certainly add into the list to gather all their day-old bread or vegetables or whatever they have that they want to donate. And then we deliver it up to Golden Hill um, Church up in Bridgeport, Golden Hill Memphis Church in Bridgeport, and they use it to feed the hungry and the homeless um, in their, in their um, I think it's Wednesday night meals. So if you would like to be a driver who goes around and picks up that food and delivers it to Golden Hill, we would love to um, have you join our group. I think right now there are five or six, Katie, five or six people. Katie Trainer is one of them. Andrew Ware is another. Um, Roger Van Voorhees, I believe, is another. Uh, so if you would like to talk to any of them or if you'd like to participate, that's also on that sign-up sheet that you have now. Um, and I think, let's see. Last week, we prayed for the very first time. I mentioned we're going to pray for... Um, Roger Crossland in his toboggan as he uh, participated in the U.S. Toboggan o Open Championships. Uh, happy to report he came in 28th out of 91 toboggans. So I'd say that's not too bad for Roger and his two tobogganers. <laughs> right? It's just a fun little thing. Paul and I will not be here next uh, February 1st weekend because we will be in that U.S. Toboggan <laughs> Open. I promise you. Um, Speaking of Paul, Paul and I, um, in the weeks to come, will be alternating between greeting you at the front door and greeting you in Fellowship Hall. We're going to split. One of us will be in, in one of each place um, so that we can have the opportunity to greet more of you um, on a Sunday morning. And then, uh, let's see, running through all my notes. Um, oh, the carousel. Let's talk about the carousel for just a quick moment. The carousel is booming. It's absolutely booming. They have literally sold out of their small furniture items. So if you have a basement like ours in which you've stored away all this great furniture that you think your children are going to want, um, they don't. So it, this, this is a great time to clear out that basement or, uh, you know, if you're renovating, think of the carousel as your donation uh, place to be. Uh, and then, so I think that concludes this morning's service um, and we're done. Just to finish us off, I'm going to invite Maggie Cruz to come over. Maggie um, is a lifelong member of our church here, and uh, she has a special um, plea out to some families. So come on up, Maggie. Good morning, everyone. Um, <laughs> my name is Maggie Cruz. Um, and I wanted to share with you my experiences being a part of the choirs at South Park Congregational. Um, so my first exposure was at six months old when my mom began directing the cherub choir. Um, you could say I was the cherub mascot, listening to and probably trying to sing with uh, her first set of singers for my car seat. Um, by age four, I was an official member of cherub choir where I sang under my mom's direction until third grade. Um, and then I sang the junior choir with Kristen Graves and then Philip in 2011. By 2013, I was part of Philip's teen choir, which also includes a loyal group of alumni teen choir now. So we return every Christmas and Easter, which provides a wonderful opportunity to reunite after college breaks or post-grad in my case. Um, this year as a college graduate, I began singing full-time with senior choir under Elaine DeGroote's stellar leadership. Um, if I finish pre-worship rehearsal early, I'll grab a tea and 
pop into the chapel and see if my mommy has helped her kids. Looking back, my musical experience with SEC are too numerous to count from Youth Sunday, Children's Day musical, Advent Sundays, all of them. <laughs> it is impossible to believe I have worked with all of the choir directors, except for Marianne Chalice, who I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to work with uh, at Broadway Boot Camp for numerous summers. Uh, I'm so grateful for the tremendous opportunities that I've received here uh, to become a better musician, thanks to my mom, Kristen, Marianne, Philip, and Elaine. If you have thought about giving choir a try, please talk to any choir member in the church. As a special bonus, juniors and cherubs will be sharing their next song for the 10 a.m. service during church school today. We'd love your kids to join us today, next Sunday, or any of the following um, to sing this spring. Adults, you too. We have so much fun. Join us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Maggie. And at this time, we'll invite up all kids to come over for the children's sermon. This is the part of church that's here for you to gather around, sit on the steps, brace yourself for my probing questions, all of it. Come along. All right, munchkins, come along, come along, don't be shy. Yeah, you got a basket, can you hang out with me? Yeah, come on, buddy. Yeah, you, you, we'll hang out. You're my assistant, this is my assistant, everyone. So what holiday is this week? Valentine's Day. And what are the words that we usually say on Valentine's Day? Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, Luke. I, lo I love you too, Luke. That's so sweet, we've never, we've never shared that. No, <laughs> yes, we say I love you on Valentine's Day. But I have a bit of a confession. I'm kind of tired of saying the same old tired words on Valentine's Day. We say I love you, but what do we really mean about that? And you know, I like, I'm a poet, I'm a writer, I like to shake things up, so I'm wondering if you can help me brainstorm some different ways to say I love you. Yeah? by actions, absolutely. Instead of using your words, you can do things. Anyone else? Okay, well, I propose an experiment. In my hand, I have these little conversation hearts. Oh, these things. You have those too? They're very, very good. And inside are a couple different ways that the candy makers at Brock's thought might be a useful way to say I love you. And I thought we might be able to see. So. This is an unopened box, it's unrehearsed. This could go very haywire. Let's see. I'm gonna give maybe three of them out at random and tell me what it says. TTYL. What does that mean? That's right. Now, say you're talking to your mom who you love on Valentine's Day. Do you think that TTYL would be a good way to express your love? Yes? Oh. Parents? You'll talk to you later, not now. I don't know. It's not my favorite. Okay, okay. Let's try a new one. What does it say? Laugh. Laugh? Can we all laugh? <laughs> what does that say about love? Do you think that's a good way? Yeah? Yeah, maybe? Okay. Last one, we'll try another. 
What does this say? Hug me. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a pretty good way too. So I was thinking, and I kind of had a feeling that these would be these would be a letdown a little bit. And I was thinking about ways in the Bible that we talk about love, that God says, I love you. And the main one is through Jesus, right? The Bible tells us that God is love and that the way that God expresses his love is through Jesus, is through a person, is through people. And so I was reading through the Bible, trying to figure out what Jesus would say instead of I love you. And I came up with three ideas. So I'm going to bring out each one of these and you can read them to the whole congregation to let them know how you love them. Number one, ready? I'm here for you. So sometimes, oh, that's all you need to say. Sometimes people don't want to talk. Sometimes people are sad. And one of the ways that Jesus shows that he loves us is by being here, by showing up. Like Alex said, we show up with our actions. And so we don't always have to say our love, though it helps, but we can just be here and be here for people. Okay, what's another way? Let's do what you want to do. Okay, scenario. Your little sister wants to go on the computer to watch My Little Pony. And you want to play what, Charlie? Fortnite? Fortnite. What, what will you do? Sometimes you do the thing that your little sibling wants to do because you love them. Maybe your mom wants to help make dinner and you want to keep watching TV. What would be a loving action? Yeah? That's exactly it. I'll help you, and then I'll go watch TV after. Let's do what you want to do, and then we can do what we want to do. Sometimes that's really hard, right? Sometimes your little sibling wants to do something that you do not want to do. But Jesus talked a lot about sacrifice, and sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. For example, do you think Jesus wanted to spend all his time walking around and healing people? No. Maybe. I think he did. But do you think sometimes he was tired? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think sometimes he would probably rather have gone to bed? Maybe. But out of great love, he showed up and he said, I'm here for you. And he said, let's do what you want to do. In fact, those are kind of the same words that he said right before the cross. He said, okay, God, I don't really want to do this. This sounds really scary, but I'll do what you want to do. Okay, one final way to show I lo your love. Ready? Here's some food. What better way to show your love than by showing up with some food? Jesus does this in the Bible all the time. He comes and he, yeah? You'd like some food? Oh, wow, wow. You beat me to the big punchline of this. First, you have to hear me talk about Jesus for like 30 more seconds. Jesus would show up and give food to people and feed people. And he would eat with people. And that's a really great way in church of showing our love. In fact, that's what communion is all about. And so as our way of showing love to you here at church, you can have the very nutritious food of conversation hearts in church school today when you go to church school. That's there for you. But first... Can we pray? Please join me. Dear God, thank you for your love. 
Help us to love ourselves, our neighbors, and you, God, in new and creative ways, in words and actions, every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kiddos, go enjoy your conversation hearts and your love with Sydney King and Church School. difficult time. Mary Martha Schertz, who I believe is watching us on um, live stream, Hank Greer, Mary Von Conta, Neil Rice, and Susan Kunkel, all are recovering from surgery, so we offer our prayers for continued recovery for all of them. Um, we also pray for Dave Stewart and his family. We had Dave's father's service, uh, celebration of life service here yesterday in the sanctuary. So we send our prayers of love to Dave and his family. And then we have prayers of good news. Emily Long Walls and her husband, Brian. Welcome to son Lincoln Asher on Thursday. Proud grandparents are Nancy and Ray Long. And so we offer great prayers of joy for the circle of life, which can sometimes bring us great tragedy and sometimes great love. So with those prayers and then the prayers that are deep within your own hearts, let's take this time in silence to lift them all to God. <laughs> 
Let us pray. God of all time, we thank you for your presence here with us right now. In our greatest moments of celebration, you rejoice with us. In our moments of doubt, you are a reinforcing power for us. And in our moments of deepest despair, you are a comforting force for us. Our world suffered a great tragedy this past week, 28,000 people dead. In the face of the tragedies of our world neighbors in Turkey and Syria, we pour out our hearts in empathy for their suffering, for the devastation of their homes and towns, for the broken lives they are now living. We ask you to be with them as we ask you to be with the people of, the, of Ukraine, God, and comfort them all in their moments of pain. Use our energy and our power and add it to your own to wrap your loving arms around them. In their searching, help them to find your peace. We know you are there with them just as you are here with us, helping us to find a path to justice and aid for all. So open our hearts to the pain and suffering of your people, of those living in poverty, who see no hope other than to take what they can get when they can get it. Keep us aware of your presence in our own lives. Help us to keep your spirit as a focal point in our daily journey through life so that your power may strengthen us, your power may sustain us, so that your power may empower us. And in this world that is full of violence, we thank you for this peace of this sanctuary, in this space with loved ones. And in this world of hunger and homelessness, we thank you for places that offer comfort and hope, a shared meal, and a safe place to rest. In this world of stress and anxiety, of depression and despair, we come to you today in prayer, thanking you for the ministry of this church for the opportunities that we have created together as a congregation through missions to make a positive change in our neighbors' lives. This building truly is a sanctuary for us, God, a safe haven for us to come to, to reconnect with you, to worship you, to find peace. And for that, we are very thankful. So help us to stay connected to our world and to you. Help us to assist our neighbors and to love our families. Help us to do our best work. And then help us to take time to simply sit in your creation, 
to enjoy the great gifts that you have given to us. Help us to make a difference in the world and in the lives of our children and our families. And you, God, you are the God of the morning sunrise, the God of the symphony of birds, the God of the blooming flowers, the God of the newborn child. So when we feel that this world is a little too much for us, when we seek hard to find the joy, remind us that the joy is in the morning sunrise, in the symphony of the birds, in the blooming of the flowers, in the birth of the newborn child. Fill our hearts with that beautiful spirit so we may live our lives aware of your wonderful gift of creation and rejoice in it with our whole hearts. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
In the letter to James, it is written, If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good of that is there? Today, let our offerings be testaments of our living faith. In this spirit, this morning's offering will be given and shared again.
scripture passages written in, um, in the bulletins, and um, just as we did last week, these scripture passages are going to be incorporated into the talk itself. Where last week we started talking about um, change and transformation in the context of what is really worth your resolve. And today we're continuing with part two. And I think about this because, especially at this time of year, we're at the beginning of a new year, it's not January 1st, but we're six weeks into the new year. What do we usually think about at this period of time when we think about change and the power to change? A lot of times we think about the word resolutions. If you dare to raise your hand, <laughs> did anyone here make any kind of resolutions for the year to come? I'm saying a number of make some kind of resolution at the beginning of a year. Might be to change something, strengthen something, reduce, doing something less, improve something, work at something. And what kinds of things do we usually resolve to work on? Most popular resolutions, we know them by heart, they're the same every year. Number one resolution every year is what? Lose weight. Yes. <laughs> Lose weight. We would all weigh about two pounds by now. Twenty-five <laughs> percent of people who make resolutions: number one, lose weight; number two, financial. Get our finances in shape. Have more money. Number three. Smoking doesn't really slide to any folks here, I don't think. Number fifth, and I find this intriguing, my number fifth most popular resolution is seeking greater happiness. Fifth on the list. I find this intriguing. Because are people saying we'd rather be thinner, <laughs> make more money, be in better shape, and then fifth, then we'll take happiness. <laughs> so we're walking around looking good, finely toned, happy, I don't know. Whatever. Does, it, does that seem a little out of whack to you? Right? It raises the question for me anyway, what's really worth your resolve? Right? Now, a resolve is defined, which I like, it's defined as a primary and ultimate commitment. So I think the problem with making resolutions is too easily made and therefore too easily broken. According to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, well, 
Yes. Wow, that's really coming through. Let's see. We can make my point less strongly here. What happened? All right. You got it? Okay. Great. Apparently, according to the Journal of Clinical Psychology, there's a direct connection with God or something. I don't know. It does something. But um, it says 15% of people who, who, who make a resolution will lose it at the end of the 15%. At the end of when? At the end of January? At the end of the week. Two weeks. 15% will lose their resolve at the end of the first day. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> wow. It's like, this is my ultimate commitment, and at the end of the day, gone. <laughs> 25% resolve, it's gone at the end of, that's the end of the first week. 36% is done by the end of the first month, and then 54% drop the resolve at the end of the sixth month, and then it plateaus. So I think we as human beings are really interesting people. So I first heard this and I thought, that's pretty negative, you know, 54%. We, we really want to do something, we, we make a commitment, and then after six months, it's like kaput. We're back to the same place where we were. <laughs> but then it hit me. And I thought, you know what else I see about this? Is it 46% of people who try to make a change actually do it? Right? Yeah. They overcome, they complete. And I think that's a lot, 46%. And then there's the flip side of this, of course, which is that people who don't resolve to do anything in the first place, right? That's a 0% success rate, right? Or a 100% failure rate if you don't try. So I think about this, and, and people are like, oh, well, you know, 54%, why even bother? I think if you had a 40% chance of winning the lottery, would you try? And how about if you don't win that time, and you have another 40% chance, would you try again? I'd be trying again and again and again. I'd go like, 40%, are you kidding me? It's fantastic. Coaching improves your chances, not of the lottery. But at life, you know, and our faith is that coaching. And you look at our scripture passages, every single one of these messages from God, from Jesus, that's in your bulletins, all, every single one of these is great coaching. And it's telling the truth. That people can change. People do change. People do renew. We can do it. You can do it. I can do it. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the light of the world, true. The measure you give is the measure you get. You know give, you know get. 
I have plans for you, says your God, plans for your welfare, for good things, not for harm, to give you, and this is with your cooperation, of course, because God doesn't force anything on you. So to give you, with your cooperation, a future that is bright with hope. Now, this is the kind of hope that comes through work and effort. And you know what? That's my kind of hope. Which raises the question again, what's worthy of your resolve? What do you really want? And I love it because, man, that's at the heart of what our faith is about. Our faith doesn't talk about losing weight, how physically fit we are, how to boost our financial health, fine things. But it doesn't talk about that, but it does talk about the quality of life. Those things that when we are living, we look back on it, what are those things that we would have truly wanted? Because what good is it, Jesus asks, this is one of our scripture passages, what, what good is it if you gain the whole world? You have all the stuff. You are physically fit, you're beautiful, you have all the money, but it just, you, it just doesn't feel good in here. So today we're focusing on what's those things that are, are good inside. Spiritual resolutions. And in the back of your bulletins, this was in last week, because I thought I was going to talk about it last week, and then things ended up going in a different direction. So it's there again, the 10 spiritual resolutions. It's been put together, I, I put it together from various sources. So we're going to talk about them. The first one that I have on, on my list, and I tell you what, you can look at these things and listen to these things, and you know, if you, if you see something, you hear something that resonates with you, take a pencil or something and, and circle it. You can adapt it, make it your own. Maybe a couple of these things resonate with you, I don't know. The first one on the list is, it's not a new one for me, you can ask Laura. This is, man, this is a re-resolve and re-resolve again. Because I forget, and then I remember, and I go back to it, and then I forget, and I remember, and I go back to it. One of my lifelong resolves <laughs> is to, I resolve to be brutally optimistic. That's the way I want to live. Another way of saying that is, I resolve to be a person of faith. Same thing. Because to be a person of faith is the opposite of being a person of discouragement or despair, or lack of hope, or lack of faith. Discouragement and despair says, look at everything that's wrong in the world. Look at everything that's wrong in my life. And you know what? Some voices out there say, hey, if it's not wrong, wrong look at everything that might go wrong. Endless. That's not faith. Try to find that point of view anywhere in the scriptures, in these scripture passages, elsewhere. As a model of faith, you're not going to find it. I resolve to stay brutally optimistic and be a person of faith. Hold me to it. Never said it was easy, but it is worthy. 
Which leads to my second, second spiritual resolution, which is let peace begin with me. Me. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times it's a battle. I get discouraged sometimes. I get, man, the list of things that we can get discouraged about. I, I can get discouraged about the state of affairs in, in Bridgeport, the state of affairs with our economy, the state of affairs with our educational system, politics, racism, mass shootings, Ukraine. But if I resolve to let peace begin with me, instead of griping, even to myself, about what other people are doing wrong or not doing right, I realize that if I'm genuinely concerned about something, instead of flapping my gums or wringing my hands, I should actually do something about it, for God's sake. For God's sake. And you know what I love about our faith? I love the fact that our faith never lets us get away with saying, oh, little old me, little old me, poor old me, I can't do anything. I'm this much. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not true. We can pray. We can vote. We can write a letter to our, our congressperson. We can support anti-gun violence. I can push my resources time, attention, abilities, money to those things that I care about. So you know what? Let peace begin with me. If something disturbs my peace, if something disturbs your peace, you don't like it, you really don't like it, I think that's worthy of your resolve. And the more it disturbs you, the more it is worthy of your real resolve. Then do something. Take action. Get involved. Never said it was easy, but it is worthy. Use your leverage. Use your power. Use your voice. Use your life. Something is always better than nothing. You know, it's not just on a global scale either. Like, my purpose, what can I do here? How about a personal level? Two, let peace begin with me and my family and my relationships. I take responsibility for what I can do. My actions, my voice, my response to things. Let peace begin with me. Number four, number three, What is worthy of my resolve? Resolving to identify, A, what do I have to offer the world to help others? And then B, share it. Now, <clears throat> there's been many studies on this. Study after study, and these are secular studies, by the way, say that the number one secret of living a, a life of well-being, purpose, happiness, feeling good, worthy as a human being, American Psychological Association, Harvard Health Study, all come up with the same thing. Number one, identifying what do you do, what do you have, 
Who are you as a resource, skill, money, time, mentorship, experience, that you could use to improve other people's lives and then two, actually do it? And you feel great. You can volunteer at the Red Cross, Carousel Thrift Shop, serve on a board or committee, sing in the choir, be a shepherd in our, in our shepherds program. We have some people who are doing that, help to mentor an inner city kid with their schoolwork, helping with Horizons, Mercy Learning Center, helping adults for whom English is a second language. They're working their way out of poverty. We have people who help with that. Volunteering to strengthen our community, you know, fellowship hour, bringing people together, making a meal for St. George's, community suppers. We have people who do that. Donating money. People go, oh, you know, money. Money's powerful. It's a powerful vehicle and it's beautiful because it transmits your energy and intentions and maybe money is the thing that you have. Maybe you don't have so much time. Maybe you're not a teacher. And you know, we can't fly over to, to Turkey or Syria, so donating money to help them out, that helps. Jesus talked about helping with money a lot. He did. It's, it's, it's just a, a powerful vehicle. So identify what you have to offer and then share it. And notice what it does to your insides. Is the kind of energy that you put out there into the world is the kind of energy that you get back, your choice. And that's not even, that's not a moral thing, that's not a religious thing. That is simply a spiritual way of saying Newton's third law that has to do with energy that he says it in terms of physics, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is the same that's true with what's going on and what we put out to the world. You can't put out anger and be happy at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Recoil. What you give is what you get. Number four, spiritual resolutions. I resolve to be habitually generous. We always think of money when it comes with that. It's not just money, it is money. But time, compassion, generous with forgiveness, generous with helping, because you become what you give. And again, it starts with you. Number five, resolving to go on a, on a, on a mental diet. <laughs> Not to get mentally thinner, <laughs> but actually to expand. It's been said that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can scar for life. It's also been said that people, it's people, not elephants, that never forget. So our words can help, our words can encourage, our words can empower, our words can uplift and inspire and give confidence and heal, or our words can demean and discourage and embarrass and belittle and bully and judge 
and they can scar for life. So going on a mental diet includes eliminating the negative. I'm going to clear that. Includes eliminating useless social media, avoiding sharing, avoiding participating in any kind of negativity, resolving and re-resolving. <laughs> I will be a person of light. Think about it. Light doesn't complain that there's darkness. It just keeps on being light. Even if it's just a little light, it does what it does. You are the light of the world, Jesus said in no small way. Things worthy of my resolve. Number six, being a global citizen. I didn't make this one up. I, I think it's fascinating. Listen to this. Do you know that there's a direct correlation between your personal sense of well-being and your openness to other people's ideas and cultures? I think that's really cool. Now, I think about people who I know in regards to that, and I think I see that playing itself out both ways. So can I repeat that, please? There's a direct correlation between your personal sense of well-being and your openness to other people's ideas and cultures. We can become a one-person crusade of consideration. Love that. Number seven, gratitude. One of the most powerful tools in life, if you want to lift your well-being and those around you, is gratitude. Gratitude also is at the heart of our faith. And you can't be happy without being grateful. And you can't be grateful without being happy. Appreciate life more, and your life will appreciate more. Yeah. But here's a confession. Sometimes when I start my day, the first thing that I do is I look at the weather, I could read the news, emails, to-do list. Why? Because I forget. Because those things are powerful. And I know how it feels when I start my day that way. It's not the way I want to start my day. But then on other days, I remember, and I go, ah, I want to start my day, put it down, giving thanks for one of God's gifts, sunshine, my family, my church, my ability to walk, talk, help others, work, maybe uplift somebody's life, 
to see beauty around me, to breathe. And I start my day that way. And you know what? Day goes better. Weird that it's purely selfish. <laughs> it really is. Now, the other weird thing is, when I do that, right, and, and if you do that, you're still exactly the way you were before. Same problem, same money, same ability, but the day goes better. So the more I intentionally look for things to be grateful for, happier I am. And it's free. Number eight, we're getting close. Spending more. He's like, are you really going to do all these 10 things? We're going to do all these 10 things. Number eight, spending more quality time with people I love. There's a woman who wrote something I really like. She wrote, my husband John and I used to have a wonderful raspberry patch. That's what that means in there. In early years, she wrote, I tended it carefully and it produced fabulous raspberries. And then I got busy with carpools and commitments. And before I knew it, the weeds took over and my raspberries died out. She writes, a marriage and friendships can become like a raspberry patch. We get busy with our career, with our elderly parents, with volunteer needs, with all sorts of things. We say to ourselves, you know, we say things like, I'll spend time on my marriage and my friendships later when life calms down. <laughs> it never does. Don't let the weeds of other important things take over your raspberry patch. Number nine, prayer. So there's a brilliant theologian, you may have heard of him, Hans Kung. He wrote this, you know, this tome uh, on being a Christian, all comprehensive. Somebody pointed out and, and asked him, they said, why did you write your book that's titled on being Christian and it doesn't have a chapter on prayer? I love his honesty. Hans Kung said, I was so busy trying to meet the publisher's deadline that I forgot. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> so, so honest. That's okay, Hans Kung. We forgive you. But, you know, but... It's something because prayer is always the first thing to go with a lot of people. You know, we get caught up in the world's pace. Do not be conformed to this world, our scripture says very simply. So number nine, prayer. Number 10, last one, be selective. Be selective. so many good things in this world to choose from. For one thing, why would you ever choose the bad? But there's so many good things in this world to choose from. We can, we can drown in excess. Too many good things. Why well, we're always trying to lose weight. 
Just last night, I, I was reading this article. It was a CNBC thing, and and um, and it was an interview with our with our neighbor Ray Dalio Bridgewater. And he was at Davos a few years back, and and I love this quote. He, he said, "You can do virtually anything you want." but you can't do everything you want. If you want to be happy, be selective. It's been said, life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Be selective, it's February 12th. <laughs> Six weeks gone into 2023. Ten and a half months to go. And the clock is ticking. God has given you a gift for us to choose what is worthy of our resolve. Go for it. Amen.
As we go from this place, we are filled now with love and courage and God's strength and God's light. You are that light. May we all go out into this world and shine. Let light do what light does. May you shine God's love, God's strength, God's help, God's uplifting hand and embrace now and forevermore in all that you say and all that you do. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.